Welcome to episode three of Musings with Megan and Michael. In today's episode, we talk about good characters and evil characters, how you can use them to help you live your life better, why you're more related to your older siblings than they are to you, how yoga philosophy translates into teaching you how to live a better life, and what you can do about the conspiracy theorist in your family. And we get into a whole lot more, including a little bit of uke and a little bit of cat. Enjoy episode three of Musings with Megan and Michael, starting right now. This isn't a music podcast. That was beautiful, though. Now it's over. <laughs> we, um... Oh, alright, we'll let Kyle in. Hey, Kyle. Um... Okay, <laughs> shut up, please. <laughs> <laughs> Come here, Kyle. Kyle! <laughs> it's like he knows. He's trying to be on the podcast. Okay. I don't know how to intro this. Like, Okay, so there's this thing in stories that we grew up with and like movies for the most part in the West where it's super clear that who's the bad guy and who's the good guy yeah like like nowadays especially if you think like disney movies or like children's movies for sure like this person is clearly evil her name is the evil witch this person is clearly good her name is the good witch yeah yeah (laughs) but you know things are kind of changing a little bit i just watched the like the new thing is to make it seem like the character that's trying to help you turns into the bad guy and like new movies but for the most part like the archetypal stories that we have are this person is clearly evil this person is clearly good but what you've brought to my attention over the last couple of years with your with all of your hindu studies and um all these yoga stories that you teach in your classes is that that's not even close to true in those stories like yeah um let's say like Shiva for instance is like kills his father-in-law yeah and this, then brings him back to and life. then brings him back to life but it's just like what's going on like Krishna like convinces a bunch of women to sleep with him but is also God that makes it sound way worse than it actually is well like, when you were, started like they that. were in love with him yeah but yeah I know what you mean it's like I think it's actually really unhelpful for our spiritual development and also just for our understanding of the world and ourselves to think of things in such black and white terms to think this is a good person and this is a bad person you know because that's actually not true at all and you know the like yin yang symbol you see yeah. you know in the traditional chinese idea of yin and yang and they say that it's like the good within the dark and the dark within the good mm-hmm. kyle's got a lot of dark in him that comes out in that meow yeah it's um it's that concept right of there's no such thing as pure good and pure evil that actually as humans it's all a lot more intermixed and here in bali this is represented even in the temples for example where 
marking the outsides of temples like if you go to a Porta Dalam one of the death temples like the trees outside are always wrapped in this black and white checkered fabric but once you get inside of the temples there are these really colorful ornate interwoven with like golden embroidery fabrics and things that are used inside the temples and that's supposed to represent that outside of the temple when we're in this human realm we tend to see the world as very black and white, right? It's easier for us to say, this is a good person, this is a bad person. We kind of set these rules in our minds so that we can better understand or better bring some kind of clear distinction into the world of good versus evil, that sort of thing. That's represented in the black and white fabric. But then once you get inside, once you get more into your own spiritual depths, you understand that actually it's much more complex than that. This golden embroidery represents our deeper understanding that actually there's good and bad in everything. And it's this whole spectrum of goodness and badness. Mm -hmm. No good person. I mean, it's like Jesus saying, thou who are without sin, cast the first stone. You know, he was pointing out to everyone, how dare you judge one person for their sin when you yourself are full of sin. But I think most people think when in that uh christian lens is like most people think that their sin is uh i didn't i told the white lie to help my family or i told my kids to go to bed or santa wasn't gonna come they don't think that their sin is i witnessed like uh, uh my boss like clearly mistreat the women in the office and never said anything about it or like um i i drove by an accident and didn't stop like these much bigger things that kind of weigh on people right. that you would be like i would never do that i would yeah. ne i would always stop if i saw somebody in need or like whatever whatever your conception is as to the things that you would never do but like the older you get the more you realize that everybody has one of those stories yeah where they're like i really I like really screwed up at this right this time and actually what you just said that I would never do that, there's this Buddhist concept that says if you were given the exact same samskaras as that person, samskaras is it's this it's Sanskrit word that means impressions, the impressions that are left on your soul, essentially. So mm -hmm. all the layers of conditioning. Stop doing that with your hand. Why? He's freaking out. He wants <laughs> I'm it. Sorry. All the layers of conditioning of society, of your past, if you believe in reincarnation, the things that happened to you in your past life that are carrying over into your present life. If you had the samskaras of any other person, that you would actually react the exact same way in these situations. So essentially, if you had all the same conditions of someone else's life, all their traumas all of their experiences that you would react the exact same way to any stimulus so this concept i'm not sure that i agree 100 because i also feel like there's some uniqueness of each soul but i mean that's what it's saying is if you had all of the same even past life experiences and everything that 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 is what forms our reactions actually so maybe it is oh well, yeah true i mean that's kind of like a free will argument because because it's so all right let's go down this road for a second because <laughs> what do we know now with um robert sapolsky is really good he's a he's a he's like a biological gen i forget what his exact title is but he he wrote this book why zebras don't get ulcers and a couple other books about the fear response and about um 
how we know what we know. He has mm. this really good class that he has recorded that's on YouTube where he talks about free will and how we know that it, it doesn't exist because we can measure or like identify all these different factors that start like very simply from um, how you're raised. So like nature versus nurture. So like the family that you were born in, the neighborhood you were born with, the experiences that you had as a, a an adult, a young adult, a child in the womb. Like we have uh, details that down to the thing you were telling your mom last time we were home that the second and third and fourth and fifth siblings all have uh, the same, more similar gut microbiomes to their older siblings. Like they get part of the DNA from their older siblings because it's it remains in the mother's uterus. Yeah. So they so they've actually been able to measure that the that the younger siblings f- somehow feel more connected to the older siblings. Interesting. So if you're the second or third child to be born by your mother, you're impacted by what she did during those pregnancies as well wow so we can measure that and then going back we know that all the eggs in your stomach in your in your (laughs) lady in your lady parts (laughs) uterus yeah in your uterus all those eggs (laughs) in my ovaries (laughs) wow anatomy is not strong for us today (laughs) Um, all, all of those were there present in you while you were still in your mom yeah right so that means that your um potential children are being uh, immediately impacted or uh, primarily impacted by your time when your mother was pregnant with you yeah cool so we can carry that stuff back that stuff's measured first cells anyway yeah Yeah. right right that stuff is measurable Mm -hmm. and then there's all these epigenetic studies that are coming out now that show that family predispositions and genetic uh, gene representations that are either turned on or off mm. are in some way hereditary or like you get them from the, the the lineage that you came from, the people that you were born from. So we can count all this stuff back. And he talks about that. So he says, this means that basically you're influenced by every decision that every person you have ever shared any DNA with made wow all the way back to the inception of creation and he does a really really intelligent really good job walking you back to show you how even the the one-celled amoebas in the primordial soup affect how you are why you are now and that's why like with epigenetics and stuff they say that what your even your close ancestors like your grandparents went through affects you like if you're grandparents were involved in the Irish potato famine for example and Mm -hmm. went through a period of starvation in their lives then maybe not the next generation of kids but the next generation of kids their grandchildren are more likely to be obese actually because they hold on to fat cells and they store food in a more Mm -hmm. desperate kind of way because epigenetically that DNA has experienced starvation now none of this stuff is to say that yeah I am coming in a lot bigger than you Um, None of this stuff is to say that you um, can't change it, right? right? It's just, it's a predisposition. So it's something you need to 
actively try to overcome. Sure. But as far as that relates to evil or acts of evil or being good or bad, um, it reminds me also of this interview that I heard with Julia Shaw, who is the author of a book called Evil, and it's the science behind, I forget what the, the subtitle is, but it's the science behind good and bad and our perceptions of those and our actions. But she would say the same thing, like similar to that Buddhist idea that I mentioned, that most people who are in jail for murder or even these grotesque crimes that we think of as like totally what, evil what right? is that murder. murder is that austin powers <laughs> probably I'm dr like, evil maybe yeah. <laughs> um that a lot of the time a huge majority of the time it's because of a crime of passion like a very understandable moment of rage that you really can't say for sure that you would not react that way if you've never been put in that situation of like, you know, your spouse being caught cheating on you with someone that just absolutely puts you into a blind rage, you know. Of course, we all hope that we would never react that way. And actually, a lot of us do practices to make sure we would never react that way, like meditation and yeah. mindfulness and things like that. But she was saying like, you know, even serial killers and all these crazy evil people, like you can trace back into their history horrible childhood traumas a lot of the time maybe not all the time but a lot of the time and wasn't it the guy that you were just quoting who said the thing about like how we're gonna find it cruel yes can you explain that yeah like where he goes with that is to say that there is no free will and, and basically everything is impacted to the point where the the synapses that fire in our brains are predetermined by the experiences that we've gone through and he what he's what he supposes is that there will come a day in the future 10 20 30 40 50 years from now where we're going to look back on the criminal justice system as it is yeah. now and find it as barbaric as we did uh leeching or lobotomies you know back in blood leeching or lobotomies back in the you know, whenever those things were going on. Or like the punishment, the like public stockade punishments or the well, hanging, public hangings and stuff. Like they're going to think it's as Right. Well, he specifically, well, he specifically uses lobotomies because that was a very crude brain surgery. They literally right. took a spoon with a long neck and stuck it through your nose up into your brain and just scooped something out. Wow. And every result is different. <laughs> and usually it made people more docile because the portion of the brain that gets scooped out is that controls like a prefrontal that. cortex? Uh, don't, don't, I don't but know. they're just Yeah, I don't out. know. I don't know exactly what they're getting at or what they're taking out. But it that was into a vegetable essentially, wouldn't it? Y yeah, it did for many people. So um yeah, he, he used that specifically as an example because that was our solution to fixing these uh, perceived brain problems right these problems of the brain and now our solutions to fix these brain problems are uh, medication or just saying this is just the way that person is they're a sick individual they need to be put to death wow so he's like yeah we're gonna look back on that stuff and say wow we had no idea what was going on and that's as cruel to any one person as scooping out part of their brain right so that's what julia shaw says in her book too is it's like most of these evil acts or what we view of as evil doesn't necessarily mean the person is evil but that they actually have a mental problem that should be able to be fixed by 
proper mental health care and things like that or it was such a crime of passion that it was like someone becoming temporarily insane basically that made them act out in that violent way you know and there are tons of people who are even on death row and things like this who just can't believe that they did that and that's why you hear all the time people who know these people who murdered someone or whatever saying they're the nicest neighbor ever I would never have guessed this and all these sorts of things you know and I don't mean to say that that means that we have to forgive these people straight away or not lock up murderers and things like that but to me understanding this actually helps me understand the way the world works a lot better than trying to fit people into boxes of good and evil because good people are going to let you down sometimes and they're going to do things that you don't understand and bad people are going to do wonderful things sometimes you know I see this with like the gurus I study a lot about and I'm writing a book actually about these guru healer types these mystic types who end up getting themselves into these massive scandals and you know abuse cases and things like this and you can have one person saying about the same guru that this person was their healer and changed their life for the better and was the best thing that ever happened to them and another person saying that that person was their worst nightmare and their biggest abuser you know and that both of those truths exist in that person you know a lot of what we consider good and evil is based on our own perspectives based on a lot of different things you know it's not to say that those people aren't evil or have the capacity for evil they also have the capacity for good in them and we all do good and evil you know it exists within all of us yeah so well I what I like what you said before about the practices for Mm. that stuff because what's like the the one show on lifetime or e is called snapped or something like that. It's like these people were just pushed to the brink and they mm. and they snapped and then they killed their husband or wife or boss wow. or whatever. Um, and you said, you know, there are things you can do to prepare yourself for that. Yeah. And that's how that's kind of that's really how I look at all this stuff um, that that I that I do that that I help people do that you do. Um, you know, practice like mental training, practicing yeah. for those situations in the same way that you do physical training, practicing for physical situations and the overlap between the two so that when you're pushed to a certain, because I've noticed like I was pretty good when we first started dating. I wasn't like angry or anything like that. But mm-hmm. when I was younger, like going through puberty and stuff like that, I had a really short fuse. You could ask anybody like my brother or sister or my parents, that I would just snap all the time. Really? And eventually I learned how to calm down, but especially in the last few years, just sitting and um, learning how to meditate and learning how to be more observant of my emotions and, and what's going on in my brain in certain moments has given me almost extra time to react. I'm reacting shorter or I'm noticing those reactions very quickly, but my state of observation in that split second has become much larger where I can see where I'm about to go or where I want to go and I can choose to stop or, or go in a different direction. Cool. And of course there's still like a breaking point, but that that is moving as well. It's really funny you say that because I literally can't even name a single time when you have snapped 
in the entire time that I've known you, you know, more than 10 years. And it's almost a joke at this point where people will be like, oh, what's Michael really like behind closed doors? He must snap because you're just so even keeled, you know, mm. that people think like, oh, he must just be bottling it up and must snap sometimes. I'm like, in the more than 10 years I've known him, I've never seen him snap. But you always just seem to have that. It's really the difference between responding and reacting right if something negative happens rather than rah, reacting straight away yelling whatever like mm-hmm. you're right you take this pause in between the stimulus and the response to choose how you want to respond you know mm-hmm. and that pause that's i said recently like that is the greatest gift i think that meditation has given me mm-hmm. is the ability to pause and decide how to respond rather than just instinctually reacting mm-hmm the way that my surface emotions may want to react, you know? Yeah, and whenever I do still say something nasty, what I notice is I'll have that moment of observation and I'll say, it's almost like multiple layers of observation where I'll be like, oh no, I'm gonna say something mean. Like in my head, I'm like, (laughs) I'm about to say something mean. And then like the next layer of me is like, yeah, you better not do that. And then the next layer of me is like, screw it just go ahead go for it it'll feel better and then the next layer of me is like yeah go for it like there's like all these different levels of me observing myself observing myself to the point where finally like the final judge or whoever like they all add up to the point where i'm like yeah this is i'm gonna have to deal with these consequences but i'm gonna do it anyway you rarely i know it's rare but i've noticed that where it's not just it's not just the the one and done Ooh. I'm about to say something mean. Should I do it or not? It's there's way more going on up here than yeah. one like you don't have one dude in a control center in your brain that's like yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. You have like every version of yourself that you've ever experienced that you've ever been right. in all of your best moments, weakest moments, childhood, like growing up, like under the influence completely sober like all of those versions of yourselves are just are just stacking up in there and you have the choice to stack up the better ones or to stack up the worst ones and eventually those guys are going to win if there's more right it's funny because i feel like christianity with the more of the heaven and hell good and evil kind of view would describe that as like the angel on your shoulder and the devil on your shoulder right and both of them competing back and forth but when i think of Hinduism, or at least yoga darshana, the philosophy of yoga, it what you just described reminds me very much of what's called the pancha koshas, which are the five layers of our being. The most external, which is the food layer, your skin, your bones, your physical body, which reacts to the stimulus, right? Mm-hmm. That's the thing that's like, ow, you poked me, that hurts, so I want to yell. Mm-hmm. That might be like, yeah, say the mean thing. And then the next layer, your energy layer is like, but how's that going to affect our energy? Is that going to put us in a shit moon for the rest of the day? And then the next layer is like your emotional layer, which is like, but I'm really mad. I want to do it. I'm going to do it. And then you get closer to your wisdom layer first to your mind layer your wisdom layer and in the in the in innermost layer is bliss they would say when you get closer to your soul you find a bliss layer deep in there that's why they say if you can shut off all of those samskaras if you can ignore or peel away the layers of all of our conditioning what you find inside is actually very peaceful and very blissful it's almost like your highest self if you can get to that point it'll be like Maybe don't say the mean thing. Actually, maybe it doesn't need to affect you at all. You know, maybe you can just be chill. Yeah. <laughs> you can and just be blissful. That's the um, 
walk a mile in someone else's shoes thing Hmm. because if you really are able to do that if you're really able to put yourself in their position to sit down in their chair you you are able to look past those initial things your initial judgment for how they act or what they look like you're able to to get past that and say okay like you said if I experienced everything this person experienced and had their exact genetic makeup would I be better than them? And if you still think you would be better than them, you're not doing it right. You're not being honest anyway. Yeah. yeah. Because you wouldn't. You would do the exact same thing because yeah. that's how this works. Right. And where this helps, I think, and where it's useful for our life is to be able to say, ah, okay, I understand why this person acts the way that they're acting. It does not mean that you need to intertwine yourself with that person because I've seen this exact same logic used by like friends who are in abusive relationships for example mm. I had a friend who she would say about her boyfriend like I know why he acts like this though I understand what a traumatic horrible abusive childhood he had and that's why he lashes out like this and she used it as an excuse to stay with him versus what it should be which is like wow I understand that you need a lot of healing. <laughs> you should see a therapist maybe or something like that, but not keeping herself intertwined, inviting that abuse into her life as well, you know? So it's this ability to understand and empathize without putting ourselves into positions of danger too. Like if you know the guy next door has a mental illness that makes him fly off the handle every now and then, you don't go have beers with him every night after work, you know, but at least if he does something dangerous, you cannot assume that he's an evil person, horrible, judge him. You know what I mean? You can at least say, okay, he had an illness. I get it. Yeah. It's good though, because we have come so far as a society because literally I can, I can picture grandparents and great grandparents, um, growing up that would describe people and just say, Ah, uh, the devil's in that boy. He's <laughs> possessed by a demon. Yeah, he may be also. <laughs> well, yeah, but but even still, like the nowadays, it's I think more people are able to differentiate and not think, okay, well that person's just possessed; they're hopeless. Yeah, that's not, or even you know, it's we we have come so far. We don't need to burn her at the stake. Right. Like, let's just work with this. Yeah, try to help in a way, you know. And you kind of, you started this conversation by talking about literature and movies and things like this, because you're right. If you look at a lot of Western, there's this real hero and villain complex in a lot of Western literature and art and movies and things where one person's evil and one person's good, and it's the battle of good and evil. And I think that is a comfortable story for us to live in. You know, it's comfortable because we think, oh yeah, you root for the good guy. The good guy's always good. The good guy's never gonna let you down. And it was so interesting. I saw this article written in Polygon, this online blog magazine, this like writer's magazine mm-hmm. that was arguing for a return to that. They were The writer, I forget who wrote the article, but she was getting, or he was getting frustrated with the new wave of films and things that like, make the characters a little more complex right where you don't quite know if they're good or if they're evil like Mm -hmm. i'm trying to think of a more recent movie that fits that description i'm not sure if i have one at the tip of my tongue but this writer was getting very frustrated with that because he was saying that it makes us more confused about our morals and our values what is good and what is bad if we have these complex stories and i have to disagree i actually think it's a very 
childish and infantile view of morality that we end up developing, which has led to things like the two-party system and this feeling of division where it's like you're either with me or you're against me mm-hmm. versus trying to find the middle ground with people. So when I think of the these kind of Eastern texts, like the Mahabharata is a great example this story that the Bhagavad Gita comes from, it's sort of the ending scene yeah. of that story. Um, the characters in that, it's fascinating. Like there's one in particular, and again, this is old stuff. Like this is stuff that's been talked about for a long time. Like there's this one character in particular named Karna, who is actually a half brother of the good kings, the Pandavas, Arjuna and such, but he didn't know that he was for most of the story. Mm-hmm. And you see that he is a good man with a good heart, but this is he almost fits this perfect archetype that Aristotle, even Aristotle was talking about this, would call like the flawed good man, right? Uh-huh. Where it's clear that he's good, but he had so many flaws. In the end, in the battle, he sided with the evil kings. He wanted to kill Arjuna, but the entire time you see what a good heart he has. He was like the most charitable man man he would just sit in meditation and everyone knew that if they came to him during that time and asked for anything alms money food he would always give it to them so it was like the book sets you up to kind of believe that this was this hero character Mm -hmm. and he sides with evil in the end you know and it's just but it's even then I would even say like Harry Potter almost did that with Snape, you know, he like is evil the entire time or you think he's the worst villain. And then at the end, they try to flip it to be like, no, it was just that he loved Harry's mother so much. Do you remember? Yeah. It didn't do it very gracefully, that one, I would say, because I still (laughs) think he counts as an asshole. But but it is this idea of like humans are more complex than just that black and white good and evil. So it helps us actually understand and be more compassionate towards each other to hear stories like that where someone defies your expectations you know yeah it's funny um so i'm thinking of two other examples as well so i was reading the water margin for a while and i stopped reading it it's an ancient i don't know ancient but it's a very old chinese oh yeah book not like it's a like, chinese epic right? yeah yeah epic that's a good way to put it and there's all these stories there's like 108 main characters yeah and every chapter chronicles another character and then they slowly all meet up to like overthrow the the corrupt king is it probably. literally 108 I think so because That's a sacred number. I, no, no, no. no. Okay, then don't quote me. But I just I was watching an anime cartoon, and and in the anime world, they have water margin. Uh, um, I think they were like trading cards, and somebody was bragging how they have all the characters. Oh, uh, cool. Anyway, <laughs> um, but it was frustrating for me because they'd be like, they'd open up a chapter and say this guy is the most noble, everybody wanted to be like him, he's like looked to as leadership in his town, and then they get into the action of the chapter, and somebody's like, you know, walks past him and and like sneezes in his direction or something, and he's like, oh, you disrespected me, and then he kills, cuts his head off, wow. and then like they go on, and I'm like, wait a second, this is the, the noblest guy in, this, yeah. in the town? What's going on? So it frustrated me because literally every chapter was like that. Yeah. I haven't finished it yet, but it, it goes to your point, right? Yeah. And then the other thing that I think about, and this is more Western because we, we look to Greek mythology um, in in Western uh, society. Mm. Like that's kind of where we come from. Like right. that's how we view it, Greek mythology, Roman mythology. Um, and I'm reading the Iliad right now. And it's like, okay uh the the trojans against the achaeans right mm. and and it's all about this the story of the trojan war 
and going into it it's like the trojan war i have in my preconceived in my head like okay the trojans lose because they're they stole helen and they deserve the paris stole helen and they deserve to lose and, and the trojan horse goes in and like all this stuff and then i have the movie in my head and i'm like okay i know who they made look cooler and who I wanted to win because I like those <laughs> yeah. actors better. So I have this preconceived notion for how I want the Achaeans to win. And I think they're more noble right. going into the story. But in the actual text of the book, which is it's so funny because we've basically made it black and white. Anybody who references that story in modern culture, yeah. they, they reference it in a way that's like, oh, well, you don't want to be like them. You want to be like these people. Yeah. I was watching a movie last night and they were talking about Agamemnon, who, Agamemnon, who's the king of the Achaeans. So he's his brother is the one that was previously married to Helen who, who had Helen stolen. Okay. So then Agamemnon takes the whole Trojan, uh, the whole Achaean army to, to get her back. Talks about how it was such a sad day when he died and there's this piece of art referencing how he died in this story and it was such a sad thing. And it's like, okay, so that, again, leads you to believe that these are the good guys and those are the bad guys. But when you're reading the actual text, the gods are like the third char- the third group of characters where some of them are on the Trojan side, some of them are on the Achaean side. Right. They switch depending on the day. Exactly. Um, you know, whoever decides what. And then like one god will go behind the other god's back and do something. So then another god's like, well, screw you. Now I'm going to do this. And they're like playing with the people like their pawns in the, in the yeah. war. And you get to learn about Paris and Hector, the two like main sons of Priam, the two main uh, warriors on the Trojan side. And you see that like the the car- who Orlando Bloom and Eric Bana play them in the movie. And Eric Bana, he's like he was the he was one of the one of the guys that played the Hulk, the guy from um, that movie about uh, Munich. The, anyway. Um, <laughs> um, but he like comes off cool, but Orlando Bloom comes off like kind of like a pussy who stole Helen, but then he gets killed in like a really weak way. But in the book, they both have all these pros and these cons and they do a lot of good stuff and a lot of bad stuff. And like all the characters do good and bad stuff to the point where right now where I'm at in the book, I'm just like, I don't know what I'm supposed yeah, like, to think. Who am I rooting for? Exactly. Yeah. Um, so even that, there's a ton of nuance to those characters and they all have pros and cons and even the most minor character those the book will spend and i know this is frustrating from a storytelling aspect but they'll spend like three pages telling you the backstory of some guy and then as soon as they're done with the backstory he gets like speared in the heart and it's like okay well he's gone now (laughs) glad i learned all this about you (laughs) so interesting so it throws you off yeah well, I wonder what changed, because like you said, if a lot of our literary techniques and things come from those original stories, like what, it's almost like this stupidification of society has made us like simplify everything down to just good and bad, me good, you bad, you know? I think, you know, this thought just came to me. Maybe that's, maybe it's a good thing then, uh, everybody has their opinion on this, but kind of like epic tv shows have caught on to the point where more people are watching game of thrones than the most recent movie that came out because game of thrones has uh i don't know how many total hours 70 hours of content to give you all these characters and to lay out the plot of the story and, and to switch and go back and forth whereas a movie comes out and they have you know two hours 120 minutes maximum unless you're 
Spielberg or something like that, you can take three hours right. to tell you the story. So really, it's the medium, I think, that is that message with people. That's a great point because you're right. Like any time that you do think this person is good or this person is bad, chances are you just don't know enough about them. Mm. And that's why you think that they fit neatly into those boxes. Because in a longer form, when you can hear all of someone's backstory and all of the actions that they've ever done, we would very clearly see that everyone has good and bad in them. But when we make these little two-hour snapshot movies where you don't explore every character's backstory and everything that's ever happened to them, it allows you to say good versus evil versus in these epic tales where they're actually going into depth about all of these characters. You mm-hmm. see more clearly the well-roundedness of them, the humanness of them, mm-hmm. really, you know, the mistakes and the triumphs all together. Yeah, it's kind of cool reading something like that as well, because it's a slow read. It doesn't it doesn't flow as nicely as maybe a novel written today. Yeah. Um, but because you get all these different people's backstories, if I only read a couple pages, I've just been introduced, or the water margin, for instance, short chapters. Yeah. I've, I, I just got this story about this one character. I can sit and think about that character and, and their pros and their cons, even if they don't play a major role in the story later. Yeah. Like smaller snapshots, whereas going into books, people always be like oh how long is it or like audiobooks like how many hours is it but to me something like that that's not the point it's almost like a, a, a opportunity for reflection to set like here's like all these different case studies on fictional characters Yay. that you can look at to see how humanity is this or that so like stop stop like Googling how many books does Warren Buffett read in a year or how much does how many you know how many books does Jeff Bezos read in a week it's like take the information and apply that to your life yeah take your time slowly go through it and make it if, if you only have one book to read your entire life which that's what a lot life was like for a lot of people where they only had the Bible for instance yeah. back when the printing press first started if you only have that one thing the point of the Bible isn't to get through it as quickly as possible and then brag about how you read the Bible in, in 48 hours. It's to like, <laughs> it's to like reflect on it. And, yeah. And the reason and that, integrate it. Exactly. And that's exactly why a lot of these texts still exist because so many people have found value from them. Not the whole story, not the snapshot that we can turn into the movie, yeah. but the, the the nuance from beginning to end. Right on, yeah. And as far as like integrating all of that into our lives, I think the way that it's most applicable for me, not only in the having compassion when people do make mistakes and do do bad things, like mm-hmm. that's very useful, I think, to allow someone's mistake to exist on its own, not to paint my entire perspective of that person, you know, to say, this person did a bad thing to me today. You know, is mm-hmm. this a pattern or is this a one-time thing? And can we move forward from this in the state of forgiveness and peace? That's a very useful integration of this information. Yeah. But the other side of that too is to not hero worship, you know? And that's when I'm writing about these gurus gone bad and things like that. That's a lot of the time what happens is that people see them as purely good divine beings, often with like magical powers too, which adds this whole other layer of devotional trust to it that sets these people up to do bad acts you know Mm -hmm. and then people are astonished because they've 
put this person on such a pedestal of goodness Mm -hmm. that they can't fathom that there's any capacity for evil in that person Mm -hmm. or even if evil is too strong of a word just any capacity for bad you know yeah so it reminds me to also see everyone just a little bit more clearly you know Mm -hmm. which doesn't mean don't trust and things like that but don't fall head over heels worshiping someone and assuming that they're never going to make a mistake or do something bad because we all are and we all do all the time you know I think so two things uh, the quicker one I think a good example of that is mm. to just watch Wild Wild Country about Osho oh yeah for sure because like obviously there's a narrative going on there that the that the creators of the show use so try to like remove yourself from that as much as possible and look at the the way that the the followers of him are talking and how like people are still gravitating towards that guy because he, even though he's dead and and this documentary came out that's pretty scathing he's dead yeah he is one to be passed i'm looking it up keep talking okay. um e- even though there's this like scathing documentary about him some of these people who followed him still have amazing things to say about him some people are still gravitating towards his work even though all these these um yeah, these things took place that you would say oh this guy was clearly corrupt how many rolls royces did he need like all this stuff but there's still value to be gleaned from it so that's just like a very immediate example. You could just watch that show and see how some people have gone one direction. Other people are like, yeah, my life is ruined, but he was still the greatest thing that ever happened to me. Yeah, that show is also very long. So it fits in what you said before about yeah. how the longer something is, the more they can actually explore the nuances. Because you also have this understanding of why some of his followers are still infatuated with him and Mm -hmm. why others have turned away from him like Mm -hmm. it really explores the whole trajectory for sure yeah even the ones that turned away from him many of them are like it wasn't because of him it was because of the structure the other people or stuff like that yeah and then the the other thing um that i was thinking was oh yeah about like oh this person did something bad to me today not this person is bad like that's the way that I, I wish people would view themselves and I try to view myself oh, cool. as well where just I don't think judgment is wrong like people always say don't judge or like mm. you know don't, whatever the sayings are you know that that you can't judge other people no you can't judge other people but I think you can judge actions and you sure. can make decisions based on that if all the interactions that you've had with somebody have been wildly negative you can't say that's a bad person, but you can say all the interactions I've had with that person have been bad. Therefore, I don't want to spend any time with that person. Exactly. Or, or okay, maybe that person is evil on the inside, but all of my interactions have been, or maybe you think that person's evil on the inside, but all my interactions with them have been lovely. As long as I keep that my relationship with them in a lovely manner, I'm going to still have a relationship with that person. So you just judge actions to yourself as well, where, okay, you made a mistake. Maybe you have a major regret. You can say that was a, that was a poor decision that you made at that time, but you can't still tell yourself that you're the person that made that decision. Right. Because that's just not fair to yourself. It doesn't allow you to change or move or grow at all. Yeah, I completely understand Yeah, that's interesting, you know, and whether you use the term evil or a lot of people now are saying toxic, you know, that person's toxic Mm. or whatever. 
it's still a label that you're assigning to the person that's a permanent label or something rather than that temporary experience of their actions in that moment Mm -hmm. and i think that's where a lot of new age spirituality has been going wrong lately or i've seen it been going wrong is that you know people go through tough times and as much as we want to say like good vibes only raise your vibration be this high frequency person all the time yeah you're still going to go through difficult times. We're still human. We're still going to get sick sometimes, you know? We're going to have difficult situations that put us low sometimes. And if every time one of my friends just needed to vent to me or rant or complain or something because they're going through a rough time, if I was like, bad vibes, bad vibes, that's toxic, that's that's toxic, stay away and push those person away, who would have any friends left, you know? But you're right, recognizing if it's a pattern that they're not working to overcome and it's something that's really dragging you down and there's not that love and positivity in it, you definitely don't have to subject yourself to a person or a situation that is not healthy for you. But having that understanding that we all go through highs and lows mm-hmm. and goods and bads, they call it sukha dukkha, you know, the pleasure and the suffering. That's just a fact of life that sukha and dukkha both exist in this world having that understanding allows you to be more compassionate when your friends are riding those waves too and when they hit low points to not just abandon them you know during what may just be a temporary low but to know that they'll come back into their full radiance eventually yes and and that's another the other way to look at that as well is to say like there are kind of two ways to to see that is if all your interactions that person is just complaining about other people you can say, okay, that person just wants to gossip and say negative things about other people. That's not good for me. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Because you do take on some of that energy. Like what other people say influences the way you look at those other people and and your next interactions. It all influences it. It's not like, it doesn't need to be some like, however you want to look at it, like some like massive energy shift. It's just like, we are influenced no matter yeah. how no matter how much you think you're not you're influenced yeah you see a doritos commercial seven times guaranteed you're going to want to buy doritos next time you go in the store <laughs> it's just the way it is even if you're not watching it even if it's playing in the background that's just the way it is so great but if someone comes to you for the first time and they're generally a pleasant person mm-hmm. and they're going through something hard and you're like oh no good vibes only <laughs> you're a bad you're being bad in that situation because they're the only reason they're doing that is because they feel comfortable around you and they want you to help them get back to that place that they're used to being at. Yeah. So that's your job to help instead of you taking on their bad vibes for you to raise them up to where you're at. Right. Like to be that person that can help them get out of what they're currently going through. Right. I forget where I was. I said there was two things, but I think I only said one. So. <laughs> but I think like a lot of this new age idea of manifesting and stuff like that comes from that sort of false conception too, where it's like, if I just raise my vibe high enough, you know, nothing mm-hmm. bad will ever happen to me. And who was it? The, there's this couple that teaches yoga and I follow them on Instagram. They're called the yoga couple. They posted this this uh, beautiful sentiment the other day that I was really surprised to see. But they were like, they basically said Jesus wasn't crucified because he had bad vibes, you know? <laughs> like, that's insane to mm-hmm. say, right? Like, mm-hmm. he was the highest vibrational being maybe ever. And bad things still happen to him, you know, for a purpose, for destiny or whatever. So 
all of this, I think, just allows me to have a greater sense of peace in the peaks and the valleys of life, you know, Mm -hmm. to understand that that's just the way it is and that we're constantly riding these waves and understanding that that's going to be the reality of life. It allows us to try to find an unwavering peace through it, you know, no matter what's happening, we're finding that steady peace through all the cycles and that just comes from understanding you know maybe forgiving a little more easily maybe not diving too deep into hero worship and things like that but just understanding that there's going to be good and bad both in the situations that present themselves to us and in the people that we meet and find relationship with you know Mm -hmm. you're mostly good (laughs) by a lot yeah i think everyone is as long as they're trying that the other kind of thing to remember is that nobody is the villain in their own story and we're all the main character in our own story right so even if somebody's doing something awful there are very few people who are like i just want to pull one over on this person they think they're doing it for for good reason so if you can understand why even if it's objectively bad that'll help you see that person better and then you could show them how maybe there's a better way to go about being the good person in that situation wow that's cool yeah that's a very good point do you believe that really you don't think that hardly anyone is really trying to be the bad guy no i mean sure there's levels certain levels of delusion where somebody can say well me robbing this bank and murdering all these people is making the world a better place right so obviously there's a certain amount of delusion that needs to be taken through there but everybody no matter how ridiculous if you truly believe something no matter how the earth is flat right or or i didn't nod because i think the earth is flat i nodded because i know that yeah yeah you know know, like that conspiracy (laughs) or like any of this other stuff that's going on with the coronavirus or any of that stuff if you truly believe that you truly believe that because you believe that that's that's the truth of of what's going on right now and that that's the only way that you can move forward in uh in the best way possible right i kind of lost that thought so i don't don't know if that made sense but yeah no i i definitely know what you mean that's why yeah like i said it's just having a greater sense of understanding of of everybody's point of view you know because yeah because even if somebody believes something that's false they still believe it so you can't attack their belief mm. and say you're an idiot. Right. Because think of like the most fundamental thing that you believe in that like the ground is hard and allows you to walk on it. If somebody doesn't or believe the earth is round. <laughs> yeah, sure. Or like what if somebody thinks the floor is lava? Like it's not just a child's mm. game to them. If they really believe that, they're going to have a mental breakdown if you push them off of their bed. Yeah. That's not the way to get them over it. Do you know that's what happened with Ted Kaczynski? The he thought Unabomber. the floor was lava? No, Ted Kaczynski, like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's who it was. When he was, a, like, a really young, almost like a prodigy. He was, like, one of the youngest students. I think it was Harvard, wasn't it? At Harvard. Mm-hmm. This is a story that I have about half the details on, All right, but well, I'll tell it don't anyway. Don't tell the details. Just <laughs> give us the main um, thought. He was involved with, like, psychological experiments there, like, volunteered for this program with the psych department where they basically had them write their core beliefs. Mm-hmm. And he wrote this whole, like, manifesto kind of thing about his core beliefs about the world. Maybe it was with the law department. I don't remember. But they had people basically, like, sit down with these experimentees mm-hmm. and systematically break down their worldview like line by line 
to see what would happen if they had their entire worldview flipped. What happened? Ted Kaczynski went crazy and became a terrorist, essentially. Like, it really messed with him. Mm. It's crazy, right? Like, you're right. It absolutely does mess people up to mess with their worldview. So, again, if we're talking about integration of this kind of information, what it really means for us, I'll speak just for myself, what it means for me on an individual level, because I could be doing things I probably am doing things that I think are for the best, but that are actually perhaps harming certain people, you know, mm-hmm, we mm-hmm. all may be. So if yeah. you were talking about how everyone thinks that everyone's the hero of their own story, everyone's trying to do their best, like how I integrate this information into a practice for myself is through my self-reflection, whether that's meditation, journaling, talking things out with you the way that we do in situations like this, mm-hmm. you know, it's to analyze myself to try to be more self-aware right to try to really think about the consequences of my actions and the intentions behind my actions as well right to know is this something that is for the greater good to help others to bring more love and goodness into the world or is this perhaps a selfish action you know just this level of self-reflection to try to see yourself more clearly so that you are a little bit more aware of how your actions are actually affecting others, you know? And Mm -hmm. in the same way, viewing your beliefs. So the flat earth thing is a good silly example, but to be like, how does having... Okay, so (laughs) silly. But to think, (sighs) how does this belief affect others? What does this mean on a larger scale? Is this useful? Is this not useful? You know, certain other conspiracies that are arising right now will be like, wow, this conspiracy that I believe in actually is quite harmful to like one specific person, you know? Yeah, for sure. And here, here let me like shed some light on the, we have time, um, the, the flat earth thing, right? Hmm. Like I thought it was, I think it at its surface <laughs> level, yeah. at, no, not, I don't believe that the earth is flat, but at its surface level, I believe that the, the, I, the idea that the earth is flat is ridiculous mm. right but I, I recently listened to this thing where this guy explained it mm. and he goes into this he goes into this whole uh like i can't even begin to explain like all the different aspects of just bits and pieces of different professions that he inserted into his idea for how the world works but essentially he says the earth is a is a flat disc and it is one level in in existence and you know the the like hindu level how there are the what are those the things? Lokas, yeah, yeah these different lokas he literally uses that to explain why the earth is a flat disc because all of those are levels below it yeah patala loka yeah and, and that's the only way yeah. Above. yeah so that's the only way it could work because that's how it has so then he took that piece of information and wove it into this whole other narrative but when you think about it excuse me when you think about it from that perspective that's kind of beautiful it's definitely beautiful if you if you think okay well yeah we have to be like this because that puts that puts the world into a formula existence into a formula that makes sense that people have been talking about for thousands of years so let me use that that is just a very two-dimensional view of existence a thousand though, right? percent. versus like yeah. <clears throat> dimensional layers and things. Just like how 4G is a layer and yeah. Wi-Fi is a layer yeah. that we can't necessarily see and everything. It doesn't mean it's flat layers. No, fair I, enough, fair enough. I totally agree, but it's 
that's exactly that's exactly what happens with these theories for instance and what has happened with the way we tell stories like we've been talking about this whole time is people simplify stuff to make it easier for others to grasp because if you talk yeah. to somebody who only thinks the earth is flat because the government is hiding something from us or like there's a, there's a wall of ice around antarctica or whatever like yeah. those people who don't who don't even have any deeper knowledge of of the things that this specific guy was talking about yeah they they just lack the uh perspective to see why someone would come to that conclusion right. and where they're trying to point people in a direction anyway they just want to subvert the government versus this guy potentially is just trying to help people even though it's a it's a it's a swing and a miss he's trying right. to help people understand the eternal nature of their soul yeah exactly right because mm -hmm. we actually have great capacity in our minds for a lot of fantastical beliefs you know mm -hmm. and every religion has their own fantastical beliefs essentially things that cannot be verified by touch and sight and the five senses you mm -hmm. know so in essence is that just another one you know and in that case i would ask myself like with any of these conspiracy if you want to call them conspiracy theories if you want to call them superstitions beliefs whatever when does it serve you to believe something and when does it not yeah. like that's my thing if believing that the earth was flat would make me a better person fine <laughs> like if, if you're becoming a nicer kinder more loving person because but if you're just like yelling at other people on the internet because you believe the earth is flat then maybe it's not serving you for that specific demographic i think Again, if you look at all the samskaras, all the experiences in a person's life that would lead them to believe that the earth is flat, a lot of the time it's loneliness, it's distrust of authority, whether that's scientists or the government or whatever. Same with, you know, a lot of what's going on with the coronavirus. It's the sense of being let down by authority figures. Mm -hmm. You can easily explain and have compassion for why they would come to believe something ridiculous you know and yep. now the more that we call them idiots for example like you were that. saying and we didn't say that but the more that people call them idiots the further it pushes them into that corner into yep. that community of flat earthers other people who believe fantastical things the same as a religion it's very similar to a religion mm -hmm. actually and that's something that i've learned here from a lot of my balinese friends too is they'll say like that's a very present aspect of their Balinese Hindu beliefs is that if someone is doing bad deeds, the more you push them away, the more you're pushing them towards other bad people who do bad deeds, and the more they collectively find a community of bad people doing bad deeds versus forgiving the deeds, separating the act from the person, and embracing the person back into dharma, back into goodness, back into purpose. Yeah. That's, and sending them on the right path, you know? That's why we need to legalize all drugs. Sure, definitely. That's also why we need a prison system that focuses more on rehabilitation and less on punishment. There's this awesome YouTube video, I think it's YouTube, I don't I might have seen it on a news site, about this prison in one of the Scandinavian countries that's just an island. Hmm. And the prisoners have like a fully functioning society on the island and whenever their time is up, they leave, but they're all given a job and they just make it work. They produce something. I forget wow. what they produce, but it's kind of cute. Wow. And they and it works for them. Yeah, man, this is where like Americans and our whole superhero comic book complex is really problematic, I think, because every time I've seen something like they're 
COVID problems in prisons now, right? Where people yeah. are like dying, Rikers and things like that, where they hardly have cooling in the hottest days of summer or heating in the coldest days of winter. And these people are like really suffering, like physical suffering, like torture in some of these prisons in America. Anytime I see an article posted about that, the comments from Americans on it will be like, well, yeah, shouldn't have done something bad or you wouldn't be suffering, you know, shouldn't have gone to jail then if you want to cry about it being too cold, you know, or cry about getting COVID. That's what you'd get versus Mm -hmm. like, why not try to integrate these people back into society in a functioning way, you know, give them purpose, give them a sense of belonging, because that's really what humans are looking for is a sense of belonging. Yeah, there's so much in that oh yeah for let's sure. just stop there maybe stop that's a that. conversation for another time yeah because there's so much in that that it really boils down to that point where it's just like where and it's it still feels weird for me to even use the word compassion coming from the marine corps because we had zero tolerance on a lot of our policies where we have zero tolerance for discrimination zero tolerance for drugs mm. zero tolerance for uh, uh sexual uh infidelity like Mm. all this stuff zero 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 tolerance so like if if you if you do it you're out right right so i come from essentially a very black and white world where it's okay there because we're trying to have the top members of society performing something that's very difficult so if you're not a top member of society by doing one of these infractions yeah you just gotta go but that's not how the real world works it's okay for for an organization like that but it's funny for so so it's interesting for me to, to even use, to even tell people to have compassion for someone else because I just come from this, this like in my formative years, you know, from 17 to 27, my brain was finishing developing yeah. while I was in that structure where it was just like tough shit. Get out of here. Yeah. You did You did one of the oh, no, no's. You got to go. There's no such thing as compassion. Let's try to figure this out. Right. There were in certain cases and with certain things, but for the most part, it was just like, Zero tolerance is zero tolerance. So nowadays, my new nuanced worldview is like, how can we talk through this? How can I how can I see myself from your point of view and make this work for, for all of us? Okay, but to be clear, like that no tolerance thing, trying to get things as close to black and white as possible is necessary for certain institutions. That's what I'm saying. Like the Marine Corps. If someone's got a gun in their hands or whatever, you need to make sure they're a certain level of good, you know? I would say like the nine Supreme Court justices is another example of someone should be as close to pure good in their actions as possible, (laughs) you know? Yeah. um, That's not always the case. (laughs) Yeah. That was, that's so frustrating for me because we're asking out of a country of nearly 400 million people to find nine people who are basically above mostly good basically above (laughs) reproach and it's like is brett kavanaugh the best you can do come on (laughs) we couldn't do that like i i don't care if he's innocent guilty or anything in between on a human judgment level yeah whatever but when it comes to being one of those top nine well that's that's just it if it's even a question yeah you're a no right for that position for that position exactly he still could have made much money like lots of dollars and all that good (laughs) stuff doing something else you know like nine people the just nine that we want as close to mostly good as possible you know 
It's really interesting. So it's I only think... going to get harder, though. Yeah. Now that everybody's on, on the internet, it's only going to get harder to find people that are... But that that's, that that's the same argument that we were saying about when choosing your friends or choosing your life partner, too. You're also trying to get that person to a point where, like, you understand their transgressions, you forgive their mistakes, and you understand their background and everything. But that still doesn't mean that you choose someone who's abusing you every day. And, there has and to be everything. a willingness to get better. Yeah, you still choose someone who's as close to your path of dharma as possible or as close to your your highest ideal as possible too while forgiving and understanding that they will make mistakes yeah well that's the like the my one of my like mantras when it comes to deciding to work with somebody or not because i'll have family members come to me and say hey my so-and-so needs to get in better shape Mm. if that person doesn't have the desire to do it themselves if they're not ready to do it if they didn't choose to do it themselves it's a no yeah, because right. it needs to be innate in them that they desire that thing. It can't be for somebody else. So if you're in a relationship and somebody's abusive and you want them to get better, but they show no signs of trying to get better right. or just paying it lip service, that's a no. Yeah, I hear you completely. Yeah. So I think what, what would you say are the useful takeaways from that? To me, it always comes back to working on myself. Like Ramdas said, the best thing I can do for you is work on myself, and the best you can do for me is work on yourself. Just to yeah. try to have a deeper layer of self awareness, which allows you to have a deeper compassion for others. For sure, good yeah. and bad. You need to do the practices so that you get better at identifying it in yourself and in others. Hmm. Judge actions, not people. Yeah. And do your best to, even though Hollywood and modern storytelling. Uh, methods are going to influence you do your best to recognize that that's not reality cool yeah love it (laughs) thank you for listening okay bye